If you're able, would you remain standing and turn to 1 John chapter 2 for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read verses 7 through 11 of 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, starting at verse 7, this is the word of our Lord. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless the preaching of it. We pray that that you would send your spirit to convict us of anything we need to be convicted of and to point us to Christ for forgiveness and for growth. For us in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As we work our way through 1 John, one thing to remember and to keep always in mind is that the Apostle John loves this congregation. And he wants them to have true assurance of faith. Their desire, his desire is for them to know that they know Jesus Christ. He wants them to know that their faith is real. And he wants them to know that because he loves them. Look at how he calls them brethren, or better yet, beloved, in verse 7. In our translation, New King James says, uh, the verse 7 starts with the word brethren. There's a textual variant there um, where it should actually be the word beloved. So if you have an ESV or, any, or another translation, you're going to have beloved there. And it shows that John loved the people in this church. So she, he gives them three Holy Spirit-inspired tests to help them and through them us verify the genuineness of their faith. You want to know if your faith is real? Here, these are three things you can look at yourself, look at what you do, look at what you believe, look at your life, and figure out if your faith is genuine. The very first test, we looked at it last week, and and because John repeats himself so much, we're going to come back to it at some point as we go through the epistle, is found in Verse 3 of chapter 2. John says, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So test one is, do you obey the word of God? Do I know if your faith is genuine? Do you obey the word of God? Today we're going to look at the second test it gives us in verses 9 and 10. And the test is this, do you love the brethren? Look what he says in verses 9 and 10. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. And then the third test is going to be a while before we get to it. 
um, is, do you believe in the right Jesus? Do you believe in the, in the Jesus that is taught us in the Bible? Look at what it says in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So here you have three concise tests that John gives us to verify to see if our faith is genuine. And you notice how each one of these tests is objectively measurable. It's not, there's nothing to do how we feel about stuff. It has everything to do with what we believe, what we do, and what we say. So, today, let us examine how loving the brethren is evidence that we have genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To put it another way, let us see that if we do not love the brethren, the brothers and sisters that Christ has put in our lives, we actually don't love God either. That, 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 that's a uh, package deal. You can't have one and not have the other. I remember years ago we had a person in the church who really didn't like people. That, that's the, the, the simplest explanation I give. He really didn't like people, but he also held the scriptures in high regard, and he knew that the Bible told him that if his faith was real, he needed to love people. You know how he got around? He needed to love Christians. You know how he got around? He started declaring everybody around him not Christian. Therefore, he didn't have to love them because they weren't Christian. That's not, first of all, it's not my job, it's not your job as individuals to declare somebody a Christian or not a Christian. That's the job of the church. We don't get to do that. And that's not, we don't look a ways around obeying God's word. We, we look for ways into obeying God's word. And notice that John starts here with this new commandment that was old, or this old commandment that was new in verses 7 and 8. He says, Brethren or beloved, I write to no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The commandment that John is referring to has been with them since the beginning. He says that in verse 7. And what he means there is from the beginning means from the beginning of their Christian life. Since they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, this command has been with them. And this is a reference to the command to love your neighbor as yourself, as verses 9 through 11 make clear. It seems like these false teachers that were infiltrating the church that John is writing to were saying that a believer in Jesus Christ did not need to love the brethren. But love for the brethren, John says, is not a new invention as the teaching of the false teachers are. Love for the brethren is something that's so part of the gospel that has been with them since they heard the gospel proclaimed for the very first time. The need to love the brethren is as old as the gospel. 
Now the question remains, how is the command new and old at the same time, as he says in verse 8? Well, it is old in that it has been around since the gathering of God's people. The, the first place where the command to love your neighbor is explicitly formulated is in a place where we wouldn't think of it. It's in the book of Leviticus. We tend to think of Leviticus as that book that we skip in our Bible reading. And yet the very first place where it, uh, though we find evidence of that prior to that, but the very first place where the command is laid out with all these words is in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, where there the Lord through Moses says, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your labor as yourself. I am the Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was asked, what is the greatest thing, what is the greatest sign of obedience, what are the greatest command in the Bible? He got Leviticus 19 and put it together with Deuteronomy 5 and said that these are the greatest commandments. In Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, the Lord Jesus, in answering a question designed to catch him in his words, answers in a way that disarms all his enemies at the time. And he says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. So it has the same weight as the first. And he says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he concludes by saying, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus goes beyond answering the the question that was asked him. He says, the whole Bible can be summarized with these two commandments. Love the Lord with every ounce of your being and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the Bible can be categorized under that. And he says, they're not really two commandments, but one. And that's the point that John is making, that you can't really love God without loving God's people. It's interesting that Paul, instead of saying what's the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God, he says both in Romans and in Galatians is to love your neighbor as yourself. Because that displays obedience to the first. You cannot love your neighbor if you don't love God with every ounce of your being. So how is it old? It's old as been around God's people since the beginning, since God's people has been gathered as the people of God, and they've been commanded to love one another. But it is new in that Jesus modified the standard for love in the church. Yes, the overall standard for humanity is love your neighbor as yourself. That's what every human being is called to do. But in the church of Jesus Christ, the standard has changed. It's no longer love your neighbor as yourself. It's love your brother, love your sister as what? As Christ has loved you, which is a much greater standard than your love for yourself. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, our Savior says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We tend to think that what discredits somebody as a disciple of Christ is adultery or pornography or murder. And those are disqualifying sins and so on. But when Jesus decided to pick one that would, that would show 
that you are a disciple of Christ to the world wasn't how faithful you were to your wife. It wasn't how submissive you were to your husband. It wasn't how well-educated your kids were. It was your love for each other. Now, I'm not trying to lower any of the other, these other uh, wicked things, but I want us to think about this fact that Jesus says that it is by our love for one another that the world will know that we're disciples of Christ. And we tend to not think in those terms. This love that God has given to us for one another is so great that the world will see it and say, there's something different about those people. They are truly disciples of Christ. It is in practicing this new commandment that the light is already shining and the darkness is passing away, as it says there in verse 8. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, verse 8, For you, as that's us, were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord, walk as children of light. And John says that we walk as children of light by loving one another. When brothers and sisters love each other, we are experiencing the life to come. When we are walking in love for one another, we're actually experiencing eternal life. We're experiencing heaven forever. That's what we're doing when we do that. And when we love one another, we are bringing eternal life to now. When we are, we are violating the laws of physics and of time. We're time traveling. When we love one another, it's a little glimpse, it's a portal that opens. And people can see heaven through that. Do you get that? And John says that the darkness in this world starts to disappear as Christians love one another. We live, there's so much darkness. There's so, we live in the state that is the 50th state as far as safety for the unborn. In all the states in the nation, we are the least safe for a baby in the womb. We are the most friendly to abortion. We live, we live in the state that's the most friendly to uh, wicked attitudes towards gender identity. We, we, we live in darkness. And we need to work for those things to change. We need to be involved in politics. We need to do all these things. But Jesus says that where you start, where the light starts shining in that darkness, is in your love for one another. Do you get that? It's not necessarily in your vote, though you should vote. It's not necessarily in your running for the office. But it's in yours and my love for each other in this room. That's how light starts to get the darkness to disappear. And as we've seen in the past, the light is Jesus. And the light shines right now through his people, especially as they love one another. Uh, years ago, we had a speaker here at the church by the name of Nick um, Wilborn. And he spoke on this spirituality of the church. And he was a southern gentleman. You know, he spoke with a draw. You know, uh, it, it, <laughs> sometimes you have to put him on if you listen to a podcast by him we have to put him two speed so he speaks at regular uh, speed because he does have that slow southern speech but he, he used this illustration that I can't uh, I don't think I'll ever forget that each Christian in his love for Christ is a little light but each, each Christian in our love for each other we're united and become this powerful beam of light Remember back when some of you 40 or older, remember when fiber optics first came into, into being 
and uh, they, they came out with these little um, things that use a bunch of fiber optics that shot light through it, and each one would be a tiny, 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 tiny point of light. The 30 sums are like, what are you talking about? Uh, uh, the, the little tiny, but when you put that all together, all those strings of fiber optics together, it's almost like a flashlight that you could shine. That's us. That's how light is dispersed, as, how darkness is dispersed, dispelled, as we together, because of our love for Christ, love one another, we're united in that light shines and darkness is dispelled that way. As we, as we think about love, let me, and as we move into verses 9 through 11, let me give you a definition of love that's based on the 55 plus one another's of the New Testament. And it's not my definition of love, it's Paul Tripp's definition of love. But I think he, he summarized well all the different uh, ways that the Bible speaks of love for one another, especially in, in the New Testament. He says this, love is willing self-sacrifice. So that's the first element of love, willing self-sacrifice for the good of another. So willing self-sacrifice for the good of another. That does not require reciprocation. That is, we're not doing to get something out of. Or that the person being loved is deserving. So our love for one another is not based on what others have done for us. Or the other person being shown worthy of our love. But solely because of Christ's love for us. That's the motivation for our love for one another. So... As we move to verses 9 through 11, John explicitly says that loving the brethren shows the genuineness of our faith. And this is such an important aspect of the Christian life that one cannot claim faith in Christ and not love his or her brothers and sisters. That's an impossibility. Look at verse 9. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. For John, there's only two possibilities, love or hate. There's no neutrality. Uh, you, you either love the brethren or you hate the brethren. The Bible doesn't allow for indifference towards the brethren. That doesn't exist. It's, it's outside of biblical category. And last week, no, as you know, I need to state the obvious. Brother here is not a biological sibling but one who is a brother or sister through faith in Christ. John makes that very clear throughout the book. Commentator and New Testament scholar F.F. Bruce says, No one is allowed to imagine that he can get away with a claim to be a lover of God on the ground that this is an inward attitude invisible to other men. So he says, what is F.F. Bruce saying here? Say, you know what? Somebody might say, yes, I love God and I love the brethren in my heart. And yet, there's no evidence of that anywhere. Do you know what John calls you, if that's how you believe? A liar. That, that's the theological term for somebody who says that. This is an impossibility to have that there. To say that you are in, in the light of Christ but not show it in love for the brethren is to actually live in darkness, according to verse 9. Again, another New Testament scholar says, to walk in the light is to love one's brother, and God's love will express itself in concrete actions. If these are missing, it is not because love can be neutral or can exist unexpressed. 
Love unexpressed is not love at all. Love has no neutral capabilities. When it is absent, hate is present. Plato had developed the idea that the, the highest form of love is the unexpressed form of love. Is the love from a distance. You know, in our, in our language that came in, uh, in the expression, platonic love, love from a distance, love unexpressed. Uh, according to the Bible, that's not love at all. That's not, that, that's not how love exists. And he says that if, if, if there's no evidence of love for the brethren, then you are walking in darkness. Now, the Lord Jesus spoke of such a man in the Sermon in the Mount, where it says that darkness, the, the, his eye, he thinks he's in the light, but his eyes are dark and he lives in darkness and great is that darkness he lives in. Brothers and sisters, the unconverted eye will not see the brethren as the object of love. The unconverted eye, the, 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 the eye that's pushed by a heart that's not changed by the Spirit of God, will not see the people around them as those who should be loved by them. They, might, they will see them as objects to something, means to get something else, but never as the object of simple love for them. And John says in verse 10, and as we love each other, we help others not to stumble. Look at verse 10. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. When other Christians see us not loving one another, they stumble. When the world sees us not loving one another, they stumble. But when we love one another, we don't cause stumble to people. We don't put that obstacle in their way to faith in Jesus Christ. And in verse 11, John says that no matter what other actions are there, if love for the brethren is not there, the only thing left is darkness. Look what he says. He says, But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This reminds us of, uh, this reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, where the love there is also love for the brethren. Would you, would you turn there? You can let 1 John go for right now, or for the rest of the time, and, and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul is not talking about marital love, though... It applies to marital love. He's not talking about love for God, though this applies to love for God, but he's talking about love for the brethren. He, he puts chapter 13 strategically, obviously, between 12 and 14. In chapter 12, people are fighting about speaking in tongues. In chapter 14, people are fighting about prophecy. And they're saying, see, which gift is better, Paul? And Paul says, well, you know, let me tell you, the better is that you love one another. That's what you should be doing. So he's describing love for the brethren. And he says that if we do all kinds of amazing things and yet don't love one another, they, all these amazing things are meaningless. Look at verses 1 through 3. Though I speak with the, the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Think of that for a moment. Um, 
the most amazing work that you can do, claiming to be for Christ. If you don't love the person next to you, all that, it, that comes across as bang, 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 and how annoying that is. And then he continues in verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand that all mysteries of all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Notice that he doesn't say, I have nothing. He says, I am nothing. And then in verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So he's talking about all these amazing things that we can do, and so on, and yet if we don't love the person next to us, they are meaningless. Uh, As the author of Ecclesiastes would say, they're just vanity, or meaningless, meaningless, just vapor. They contribute nothing. There is a great importance of love in the the life of the church, in the life of the believer. Love gives meaning to all the other gifts that God gives us. In verses 1 through 3 of 1 Corinthians 13. Love is the the only permanent gift. Look at verse 8 of chapter 13. Paul says, Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it, it it will vanish away. Prophecy will fail, that is, they will stop happening. Tongues will cease. Special revelations will cease to come, and they have ceased since the close of the canon of the New Testament. But love remains. Love is the greatest gift that God has given to His people for each other. And part of growing up in Christ is being satisfied with the full revelation of Jesus Christ in the Bible that tells us that we are to love one another. Look at verses 9 through 12 of chapter 13. He says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, and understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. So he tells the Corinthian church, instead of worrying and fighting about temporary gifts that God gave you for you to bless others with them, focus on the lasting principle of love. When you do that, Paul says, this chapter, which was originally written to help church members stop fighting over who should be the preempt, who should have the preeminence in the church, becomes the most precious guide for every relationship. And helps us express the love that God has called us to express to one another. And Paul tells us that love is the greatest principle because it will be in force forever. Look at verse 13. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Well, we we now walk by faith, but when Christ comes back, And for all eternity, our faith will become sight, and it will no longer be there. So there will be a time where faith is gone, no longer needed. We now walk in hope, that is, in the confident expectation that all the promises of the gospel will come true. But in the age to come, hope will not be necessary because all the promises will have been fulfilled. So hope is gone, in a good way. Just because it's not needed anymore. But forever, 
we will walk in love for our Lord and our brothers and sisters. That's going to be a characteristic of heaven. And if you're a citizen of heaven, it must be a characteristic of you at this point. So how do we love the brethren? That's the remaining of our time. How do we love the brethren? We just learned this morning that Chrysostom was a great preacher because he made things practical. And if you're in Sunday school, you should be um, because it's good for you and we love you. So you want you to be uh, there. So how do we love the brethren? There are two passages that will help us think about this. But I want you to, I want you to listen this way. Okay, There will be a temptation for you to listen to what I'm saying and then think of ways that I haven't mentioned today and how you should love the brethren. Okay? Say, well, but he didn't say this. Or he didn't say that. I could, right? But uh, I think by 1 o'clock you'd be leaving the, the building and be upset with the sermon being so long. So don't listen for the things I'm not saying. Listen for the things that I'm saying. And if you do that, there's going to be enough here to help you be busy this week. Focus on the things that I'm saying. There's enough to do here that you not need to worry about what I'm not saying here this morning. Okay, does anybody remember the definition of love that we had? Paul Tripp's definition of love. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. Turn to Romans 12 with me for a second, for a couple of minutes. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 9, as we answer the question, how do we love the brethren? We love the brethren by not faking love. Look at verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. This sentence governs the rest of the chapter. Everything else is explaining this Sentence, so how do we love the brother? By not faking it. By actually loving them. By being, letting love be without hypocrisy. The, 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 the word the hypocrisy means having a mask on. Pretending you are something that you are not. You're not. Is the word used for Greek theater. Where the same actor would play different parts and would play the different parts by putting masks on. So the audience would not see his real self. would see a mask. That's not how we love one another. That's not how we love one another. We love the brethren by abhorring what is evil and holding fast what is good. Look at the rest of verse 9. Abhor what is evil, cling or hold fast to what is good. The word abhor is the word for hatred. Hate what is evil. Hate with a passion what is evil. Gossip. Slander. Sin in general. That's how you love your brethren. By hating what is evil. Love does not celebrate sin. We love our brethren by honoring one another. Look at verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. We are to outdo each other in thinking less of ourselves and more of each other. One of the first steps, if you are a true believer in Christ, one of the first steps to loving your brother is just to stop thinking about yourself. Think less of yourself. Just 
run to outdo each other in honoring each other. We love our brethren by being patient in trials and faithful in prayer. Look at verse 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. The average Christian, according to research, the average born-again person spends less than two minutes a week praying. The average evangelical pastor spends less than 15 minutes a week praying. Do you, do you love the brethren? Pray for them. We love the brethren by being faithful to the brethren, even when they hurt us. Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. We love the brethren by being emotionally invested in them. Look at verse 14. Verse 15, sorry. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's how we love without hypocrisy. By being emotionally invested in the brethren. If you have been hurt by people, there would be a tendency to keep people at arm's length. You can't love people at arm's length. Love Relationships are inherently risky. You will be hurt by people in this room. You will be hurt by me. That's just how things work. And yet, if we keep people at arm's length, we're not going to be able to love them. We need to be emotionally invested in them. We love the brethren by being humble. Look at verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. We love the brethren by being thoughtful, even in the midst of evil actions. Look at verse 17. Repay no evil, no, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. We love the Lord by, we love the brethren by being a peacemaker. Look at verse 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, being a peacemaker does not mean avoiding conflict. Being a peacemaker means solving them according to the scriptures. Let me ask you this. When you think of the people around you, and I want you to actually think the people that are right here around you, next to you, in front of you, behind you, when you, when you think of them, do you see them primarily as a source of frustration and annoyance? If that's the case, you're not being a peacemaker. You need to see them as the object of your love with whom you have peace because of Jesus Christ, who has reconciled all, all his people to himself. If you're keeping track, number 10... We love the brethren by trusting that God will vindicate us so we don't have to. Instead of trying to get even, we just forget about it. God will take care of it. Look at verses 19 and 20. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to rest, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. We love the brethren by overcoming evil with good. 
verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I was going to turn to another passage, but I won't. I'll I'll give you two more, and you can check them out later. In James chapter 2, we said that James tells us that we love the brother by not showing partiality. By only associating, you know, sometimes we tend to only associate to those people that we think that either are like us or we can get something from them. That's not love. That's self-love. And then James tells us that we love the brethren providing for their physical needs. Right? True faith doesn't say, oh, brother, go, the Lord bless you. And then don't do anything about their needs when you have the ability to do that. All right, so hope you're with me so far. Now I'm going to say something that is going to upset you. Okay? So are you ready for this? And you might say, that started like 30 minutes ago. Why are you giving that warning now? And I'll say this here because that's where we are. Right, And the battle has to be fought where the war is, not some other place. And I'm not telling you to do one thing or another here, okay, other than love the brethren. These are not on my notes, but, um, but so we'll see how it goes here. <laughs> we are a non-masking work, uh, wearing group, right? We are adamant about it. How dare the government do this to us? They don't work, or whatever it is. But have you considered that there are brethren that think that's very important? Have you considered that there are brethren that are, um, you know, stumbling uh, sometimes because of, of some of what we say and what we do? So it may be that one of the ways we love the brethren is by wearing a mask. I'm not telling you to wear a mask or not, but it is a concrete example of something that we prefer not to consider, right? Preach your brother as long as it's for a Slater King Baptist Church. <laughs> but here in the Bible Presbyterian Church of Olympia, that's something that's a very concrete way that we need to... It still might result in you're not wearing a mask, but if you have not thought that way, you've failed to love the brethren. Okay? Emails to andrewahoy at gmail.com if you have a problem with that last, uh, uh, last comment. So John says this. John says, if someone in chapter 4, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So let me ask you, where is your heart? Where is your heart? Is your faith real? Do you love the saints around you? Have you come? Have you, have you come to know the love of God in Jesus Christ that frees you to love others? Have you, have you known Him? Is Christ your Savior? Have you experienced that love that while you're still sinners, God poured the life of His Son out so that you could have life? Have you experienced that love that calls you a child of God? Behold, of man of love, the Father has shown upon it, uh, to us that we should be called the sons of God. Have you known the love of God in Jesus Christ? Let us pray together. 
Father in heaven, thank you that you're a good God to us. Thank you that you have given us your word, and your word sometimes says difficult things for us, things that we don't want to do. Father, we pray that your spirit be working in us, that we might obey you, that we might be thankful for the brethren, that we might love the brethren because we love you. Father, thank you that our love is a response to your love for us first in Jesus Christ. Give us grace to obey you for asking in Jesus' name. Amen.